welcome to another edition of Safeopedia Safety Talks. We're doing a special edition where we're teaming up with the 1% Safer Foundation to share with you some of their speakers that they're going to be having at their live and direct conference, April the 28th, 2021. Now, if you haven't already, please go navigate to the 1% Safer Conference site. You can find the link below. And register and join us at the conference so you can hear more from our speakers. We have a great show lined up for you today. Joining us is Dr. Theo Comprunella, who is a neuropsychiatrist in the Brussels area. Dr. Ralph Frank, who is the head of environmental protection, health management and safety of Siemens. And Kathy Seabrook, who is the CEO for Global Solutions Inc. Now let's dive into the discussion. So thank you very much for joining me today. This is an amazing opportunity to chat with you all. And I wanted to kind of kick it off with asking you about what projects do you have on the go right now? So I'll throw it to you first, Kathy. Uh, well, thank you. And um, thanks for having me here today. Um, what am I up to these days? Well, people know me as a futurist. Um, I'm very optimistic and I'm usually at the, the head of the curve, whether it was with globalization, management systems, um, or now the world of sustainability, um, environmental, social and governance, investing, human capital, um, thinking about our workers. So I work across industry sectors. So I, I'm, I'm an educator, a part of the national faculty for the American Society of Safety Professionals on the topic of global um, EHS management. Um, but I think what is really important for this discussion today is I've been working in the steel industry for the past four years, really on integrated management systems. And you know what my 1% safer um, uh, section was about was really understanding the business environment in which we as safety professionals as business leaders um, are actually operating. So integrated management systems, I've been involved for the past four years of actual implementation and literally a hundred two separate divisions for this um, steel company, a hundred percent engagement of their people. And the leader is holding the vision of um, safety, operational, commercial excellence, all coming together, these interdependencies, which, you know, we'll all talk a lot about today. So um, that's, that's, I guess that's the exciting things um, I'm doing. I'm getting ready to work with a very large um, technology company and they're looking to implement uh, a management system. So they're looking at 45,001. So I've been very active in that group. So helping them with that. And then we're just doing some work with a board and a, um, uh, their their C-suite uh, for a, an energy company to try to help everyone understand the value of uh, safe and healthy workplaces and the people that are working there. So that's 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 a little bit of what I'm up to these days. Fabulous. And Ralph, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, uh, like Kathy, I'm also responsible for the environmental topics in our company, but uh, I'd like to talk only about the health and safety topics right now. And here I'm uh, still busy with the COVID uh, crisis management and currently with the question how to vaccinate our uh, employees and to come up with a vaccination strategy for uh, mainly Germany in all the other countries. It's up to the local requirements and circumstances. And, uh, but that's pretty tough yeah, because of uh, yeah, lack of uh, vaccines and public discussions around the topic, uh, one vaccine works and another not, or, yeah. So many things where we need to educate people and, and uh, to, <laughs> to uh, also make sure that uh, our uh, employees will get the vaccine uh, as early as possible. And, and in the course of the crisis management, I mean, uh, we accelerated somehow mobile working yeah, and working with digital and virtual uh, devices and tools and, uh, and and this caused somehow the discussion in our company um, how does the new normal so we call it new normal will look like uh, and here we said okay we will never come back to the situation like before the crisis and uh, we will have uh, at least 40 to maybe 60 percent of uh, office work now moved to mobile work 
-hmm. and uh, what does it mean for our employees and then to come up with a concept how we from a health and safety perspective can support leaders yeah, to lead people remotely yeah? on the other side how to support uh, our employees to organize themselves better because many are not able to organize themselves yeah, because they're coming from a very well-organized environment in the office yeah starting at eight and finishing at five or so yeah and, and everything is organized now they are sitting at home <laughs> and uh, kids running around and you know all this stuff and how to uh, support them and uh, finally we um, set up the succession program for our ehs program so we had the first um, phase of our four ehs programs from 2015 to 2020 and now we um, let's say um, extended the uh, the program and for health and safety we, we merged the safety program with a health management program and we call it now healthy and safe at Siemens and here we are striving for let's say organizational resilience yeah? how to uh, support the organization how to support uh, individuals how to support teams to become more resilient and mm -hmm. finally then and better performance yeah. so this is what keeps me currently busy in the health and safety arena that's a lot of awesome, great stuff. And there's some things that both you and Kathy mentioned that we'll come back to. Theo, can you share a little bit with what you're doing these days? Well, I'm flying in from a totally different direction here. Uh, for the moment, I'm doing two things. The first thing is that I'm writing the fourth and completely revised version of my bestseller and longseller, Stress, Friend and Foe. And among other things, it needs a new chapter about stress and safety. By the mm -hmm. way, I also work uh, with Siemens here in, in Belgium uh, on the subject of stress management in the organization. The second thing is totally different because there with two co-writers from the school sector, I'm finishing a book for teachers of adolescents about the interface between the brain and the modern technology. Uh, a typical behavior of technology slaves, as I like to call them, is that they're always connected, especially to their smartphone. Mm -hmm. And this leads to continuous multitasking. And this multitasking is not only extremely inefficient, also for adults, but also very unsafe and even life-threatening. And so in this research I did about the brain and multitasking and that stuff, I got also interested in the idea that the hope for the future was the young people, that they born with screens in their hands are the hope for the future. And there to my amazement, I learned that I was totally wrong. Mm -hmm. that, the, that becoming digital savvy is a skill and like any other skill you have to learn it and you have to train it and the problem is that the parents and the teachers like all adults were taken by surprise unprepared mm -hmm. for the lightning fast evolution of the technology and they themselves are often slaves of their technology their mobile phone especially email and all that stuff without realizing how detrimental this is for intellectual productivity in adults and learning and safety in everybody. And so that's why I'm writing this book for teachers of adolescents, because uh, one way or another, we have to teach them to become the masters of their apps and mm -hmm. especially the master of their anti-social media instead of remaining the slaves. So you could say that uh, my point is that to become digi-savvy digi mm -hmm. and digi-safe, we first have to emancipate uh, the children and the adults uh, and become digi-free. And that's what I would like to, yeah, that's the message I want to get into the schools. Become digi-free. Yeah. 
I wanted to kind of drill in a little bit more about what you were talking about the the mental wellness essentially that you're bringing into Siemens for the healthy and safety um, programs that you're doing. That kind of ties in to everything that Theo was talking about, about looking at getting digi-free for the next generation. And it's also driving into what Kathy, you were talking about, about the seniors holding the vision. I'm seeing like a thread going through here that our generation, we kind of want to change the tides. As you were saying, never return to what we had before. And so I wanted to open it up with you guys and, and see, because you guys are visionaries. You're always looking in the future. So, so what, Kathy, why don't you kind of kick it off as to what you're seeing for the future? By the way, Theo, it's, it's delightful to meet you. I, I totally agree. And I'm hoping you're publishing in English um, as well. So um, although I'm not a teacher, I, I, I want to read your book. Um, well, you can read Brain Chains. It's called Brain Chains. And that's the one that's already published. And yeah, that's published. You can ju just go to Amazon and you can find it. Awesome. Well, I will do that. And, and really what, for me, how I see this confluence of what's going on in the business world um, with governments, with investors, with um, companies, um, and Siemens is one of them, frankly, um, forward-thinking companies that are actually um, really understand the value of people and the value of the environment, in addition to just the financials. And so this confluence um, in sustainability or environmental governance, uh, environmental, social and governance investing um, is really kind of coming to the forefront. Um, I'll go later in depth, more in depth um, with, with some of the specifics that are going on. But I think this is where the threat is happening. So it was part of the project working group for the Global Reporting Initiative. It's their OSH standard, OSH 403 standard. And this, there were 15 of us that came together uh, across uh, multi-stakeholder um, engagement to come up with what the metrics should be, what, what should be required in sustainability reporting. And a lot of things, but the one thread kind of tying us together here is the health side. And COVID has just blown this completely open as Ralph had talked about, right? I mean, this is what most um, heads of um, safety and health for, for global companies and even small, medium-sized companies, even the micro companies, they're all dealing with COVID. It cuts across industry sector, cuts across size um, and, and nature of, of, of companies and operations. So. The other piece of this puzzle is this real focus now on management systems. Now, most global companies have a risk-based approach to managing their safety and health risk, but that's not across the board. Um, the United States in particular, we have been the last um, to come to this risk-based approach. And ISO standards, um, whether you like them or not, certification or not, um, they've really moved um, this forward in safety and health because there's now a formal consensus standard in ISO 45001. Um, and so the piece that brings us all together in this discussion, Tamara, is health um, and mental health in particular. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, and, know, and Kathy, when, when Ralph was talking, Ralph, maybe you can pick this up, is one of the things that kind of hit me is how are you checking in that you're being successful? Because I see a lot of companies talk about wellness but they're not hitting that mark. Yeah, I mean, first of all, we are not talking about wellness because in the European context is massage and you know physiotherapy and, and fungo and tango and these kind of things. Um, but um, I mean, it's, it's on one hand very complicated and complex and on the other hand also very easy. So um, if you, if you um, create let's say good work and good a good work environment then you create a good safety culture a good health management culture a good quality culture or whatever that these are only symptoms of a of a uh, let's say um, let's say physiology uh, which is uh, you know I, I always compare because i'm a medical doctor yeah, and i compare always the things a little bit with medical thing uh, and and uh, safety performance, so like 
I don't want to call it performance KPIs, yeah, uh, like uh, incidents or or fatalities, which are required by sustainability reports, for instance, yeah. This is completely outdated, yeah, because this is mm -hmm. just a symptom of a deeper lying disease, and the disease is how work is created, how work is designed, yeah, how people are interacting with each other, and therefore. We try to um, influence the the interaction of people, mm -hmm. yeah? and this makes and this is the easy part, yeah. Because um, at the end of the day, yeah, uh, you can offer gyms and uh, exercise programs and heart circulation and psychology or whatever mental programs. At the end of the day, uh, at work, it counts how people are dealing with each other and whether mm -hmm. uh, people. Um, uh, employees are, uh, let's say, rewarded, recognized, um, and, and uh, also leaders uh, are taking care of their people, yeah? and how the interaction between the manager and the employee is, is uh, somehow um, uh, designed. And, uh, and, and therefore, one main element of our healthy and safe program is um, to set up learning teams. Okay, you know, yeah, uh, and, couldn't and, and agree, we... couldn't agree more, uh, because uh, when when you, when you say um, I got into this field because of my research on stress, which was stress mm. in schools, and because of the attention it got in the media when it was published, I got the attention from the business world. And so like Alice in Wonderland, I moved into this strange world and I started doing similar things as I had been doing in my research, doing surveys about stress, relationship of absenteeism and so on. And then I discovered that I only became efficient the moment I took a distance, got rid of all my scientific medical hobby horses and that I only became efficient doing this when I put myself in the skin of the managers and that's the pivot that's 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 the basis of all those programs mm -hmm. and that's how I got involved in management development but I absolutely agree with you yeah. it's the I mean it's management uh, development. Yeah, theory. you're absolutely right. And, and uh, my hypothesis is uh, there is no perfect leadership style out there. Yeah. It's always, uh, let's say, um, an, a kind of um, commitment or agreement, commitment between the team and the manager, how yeah. they want to be led. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That could be uh, authority kind of style, uh, yeah, like a dictator or whatever. Or it could be also more team style leader. It could be everything. But at the end of the day, it's always uh, the interaction between yeah. people and whether in this group there is a kind of alignment how that should look like. Yeah, and, yeah. and then the people are happy and then they feel healthy and. You know, and also, also the, the when they have stress or issues or safety issues or health-related issues, then they will find a solution for that. Yeah? And, and you don't need a program for that. Yeah. <laughs> and Ralph, I wanted to kind of build on what the both of you are bringing out. I have a social work background, and it's very refreshing to finally hear in health and safety talking about group dynamics, essentially. You know, because in group dynamics, there is a... A, um, a theory that we, we follow in social work about the life cycle of a group and when it's starting up and when it's storming and then it, when it gets to the normative stage, which is what you're discussing, the fact that there is a, a formal leader in a company, right, the manager, but what's not often discussed, and this is what creates a lot of stress, is the informal leader in the group that people naturally will follow. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm, and it kind of goes back to, to the human capital discussions, Kathy, that we were talking about before in our last podcast. Yeah, but that's that's totally, I think all those fields come together there. Mm -hmm. That's that's also how I moved also from leadership to teamship. And so now I'm rarely working 
except in training and so on with managers, but when I, in companies, I prefer to work with executive teams because the impact on the executives themselves and on the organization is much bigger. Exactly, so, uh, sorry. No, go, go ahead. No, Kathy, ladies first. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I just think the thread here is people. Right. And, and Ralph, one of the things that I really like about what you said, and I'm a big learning team person, I am all about engagement, empowerment. And, you know, the other layer to that is culture. So and Siemens is global. Right. Um, so what that looks like in Japan is going to be different than what it's going to look like in Jakarta or Venezuela or, you know, the UK, you know, in, in, in Munich, for example. Um, and specifically that concept of hierarchy, you know, that formal and informal when someone would feel comfortable to actually come up with uh, and I not come up with the idea, but actually put the idea out there and how that team actually works to really mine out the best of that particular team. So I would, I would uh, lay that on as well. And, you know, this concept of human capital, um, to me, it's about people. And, you know, we're all people on this call and we all interact differently. We think differently. We're very diverse, um, you know, medical background, um, professor, you know, and, and my background, really, I'm a, I'm a corporate, I'm a business person. Um, and I look at things really big picture. And sometimes my safety and health colleagues just think I'm crazy. Um, but I really am a safety and health professional, I promise. Um, but I really take a step backward. I don't know if we have any hockey fans. Tamara, Tamara, you might be a hockey fan, but there's a very famous hockey player, um, Wayne Gretzky. He's the all-time high yeah, in terms of goals scored. And so when he was asked, why? What did you do? What's your strategy? His comment was, well, I don't skate to where the puck is. I skate where I think the puck is going to be. And that's my philosophy. It's been my philosophy since I started. So it's like for us safety professionals, and this, I think we're our own worst enemy, aside from the people on this call, um, our own worst enemy in terms of we, we tend to get very siloed. Even in some cases in companies, it's safety, health, and environment that's completely separate. And really where that puck is going is integrated, right? Integrate into your company, understand what the alignment, your goals and objectives are and yep. safety and health needs to be part of that. You are absolutely right. I mean, uh, therefore uh, the, the combination of E, H and S absolutely makes sense. Yeah, and, and uh, because uh, if you don't have a, let's say, a good environment, a healthy environment, yeah, you, you won't be healthy in that environment. Yeah? And uh, if you create unsafe uh, conditions, then you also have an impact, negative impact on the health of, of the people. So finally, it's all about people yeah? and how they act, how they, um, uh, let's say, um, yeah, uh, do things. Yeah. And, and, so there's always, and, and this is, I mean, a, a human being is an is a socialized uh, animal. Huh? So we, we cannot live by our own, huh? and that creates also the challenge uh, working with people who are sitting the whole day in front of the screen at home uh, alone. Yeah? And, and this is also one of the aspects we need to consider in this kind of virtual uh, mobile working kind of uh, environment. Yeah? And and so therefore. Um, for me, safety is not a separate topic. Uh, we, ca we cannot create safety uh, and uh, we cannot create, uh, let's say, environment-friendly uh, env uh, company or whatever. So we need to consider it uh, from a holistic view, uh, perspective, and, and, uh, and then it starts always with the people. Uh, and here, my pledge is always, we need to start from the top. Yeah. yeah. So it starts with the CEO, Kathy, yeah, and 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 because everybody is looking at them, uh, testimonial or whatever, and and that multiplies then in your organization. But on the other hand, if you create a kind of um, how's it called um, flash mob, yeah, so that there is a, a kind of uh, <laughs> down top initiative, yeah, then you can also influence something, but that takes a little bit longer. Yeah. That's your learning teams, right? That, yes, that can yes. help that, right? Because yes. you're empowering the workforce. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, just something just to touch on kind of 
building on what you're talking about, and Theo, I think this ties right into you, um, is this second wave of the pandemic, you know, is being said it is the mental health side. It's, uh, well, exactly what you said, you know, we're all working virtually now, forced or virtually in many cases. And so what is that doing to our, our day? And I mean, I'm here in, in New Jersey in the United States and we have just had record snow. So not only do we have pandemic, but we are, in most cases, we're not locked down. You can at least walk, but you can't even walk around here. So, I mean, that whole mental health piece um, is really going to start coming out and the companies are having to, um, to start dealing with that, that in addition to ergonomics. So mm -hmm. Theo, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this. Well, yeah, I, uh, I wrote a little text on this. Uh, my clients asked for it and I named the text about uh, this issue, how to stay sane in an insane world. Yeah, how to deal better with the stress of a COVID pandemic in a lockdown or a partial lockdown, working from home and video conferencing. And there also, I, uh, yeah, I discussed the stress balance, the, the demands and the, the competences, the balance between those the, about how people abuse their brain but because they were already too much connected to be efficient and now it even got worse so there are and then also the the stress the zoom stress and the things you can do very practically to deal with zoom stress so i think when one of the major things in also in coaching uh managers and executives dealing with the situation is that more than ever they have to learn to do batch tasking yeah more than ever they should disconnect and so they have that they have earmarked time for thinking work work that needs uh, your thinking brain then they have earmarked time to do all the messages earmarked time for so that this creates rest uh, in their environment and gives them a feeling of being in control. Half of the problem is pushed on us, but there is another half that is under our control. And sometimes people don't like it when you say that, that people have their own responsibility uh, in the way they handle this, and sometimes it's it's lack of knowledge, it's ignorance, but you cannot put it all on the way uh, this this pan what, what the pandemic forced on us. There's a lot of things people can do, and there's a lot of things that companies can do to help people to deal with it better. So it is a responsibility of the people. It's a responsibility of the companies. And then, of course, there is this uh, coronavirus that fell out of the sky. And there is nothing we can do about the pandemic except uh, following the rules. And people forget that, when, that those rules are also important for ourselves. Because if I follow the high rules of distance and, and uh, hygiene, if I follow those rules, it gives me a feeling of being in control. It gives me a feeling of doing something for other people. Yeah, and, and so it makes me function better and healthier. See, I think it's interesting that in safety, we always get back to that technical discussion about the tangible things we, we can do. When we're talking about stress though, to me, a lot of that is intangible and it has to do with the interpersonal relations that occur in an office. So when, when you're saying stress and safety, I kind of wonder if there's something that we need to be also working in there about the human dynamics and the healthy or safety around that. What are people's thoughts? It's, it's not a secret. So there is a saying out there, you select a company and you leave a boss. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and this, uh, I think describes this very good. And, uh, so, um, and, and here again, uh, uh, for me, um, how you perceive uh, the, 
the, the leadership uh, of your boss yeah, is, is a kind of yeah, a consent in, 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 in the team. And, um, and you need to, and for me, what is really uh, important is that uh, leaders have a certain ability to be empathic, yeah, to, to put themselves in the shoes of uh, the employee and to think about what, what kind of impact uh, do I create with my, let's say, decisions or orders or whatever kind of announcements. On the other side, to have a certain feeling for or sense for uh, uh, problems yeah, which could occur. Yeah? So to see um, when, how to lead that people stay healthy, how to uh, detect in a very early stadium that there is something going wrong and then to know what to do then. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And uh, also to maybe uh, uh, say, okay, I have no solution, but maybe we, we can together work on a solution. Uh, and and this is, I think, the the main uh, um, yeah the main aspect we need to consider in in the context of good leadership. Yeah, uh, that um, that leaders who lead people, uh, name it maybe that they have the the hierarchical, uh, um, let's say. Um, reason to lead people or they are the informal leader yeah? so people select their leaders uh, and they listen to certain people but the, uh, I think the main the main element we need to encourage and to to foster and empower in in companies is uh, to create um, a space a room for continuous dialogues between people and especially between leaders and their employees yeah? And this is what I mean with learning teams or like this yeah, dialogue rooms. Yeah. Can I just build on that? Because I think I, I think Ralph is just spot on. Um, in any kind of initiative that's implemented in a company, you might have the CEO, the whole C-suite that has said, yes, and let's talk about safety and health. So we have an initiative on mental health, for example, or just total worker health, um, and it's being implemented. What happens is it's, it's that level that Ralph was talking about where you have you know, the actual worker that's closest to the hazard, the person actually doing the work or providing the service and their immediate supervisor. And this kind of ties us all back together with the boss. Um, it's all about the culture of the company. So you have to have a certain culture within the company that says that we want to learn from incidents that have happened. We want to learn um, from our competitors. We want to learn and we want to benchmark. Um, we want to develop these learning teams. And it is that learning culture versus that blame kind of culture. And not every company has that, but that really is the movement forward. And as from my perspective, um, listening to Rob, that's where that disconnect stops. So if you're implementing an initiative, typically it's that level where there's a disconnect. And so you might have all the best safety and health processes and programs, systems in place, but if the expectations are not set for that boss to do exactly what Ralph is talking about in terms of having that empathy, really thinking about that person, and especially in the time of COVID, right? To be able to say, yes, I understand you need some time. You know, your, if, your, your son might need extra help and you need a day, you know, to take a day to do that um, because they're going through something. It's that little thing that builds trust. And I always talk about bridge building and talking about, you know, building those relationships. Um, that, that particular supervisor also has a boss and that boss has a boss, right? And that is what creates that hierarchy and creates that culture. Whether it's a small company, right? An SME, or whether it's a large multinational company like uh, Siemens, um, that disconnect at that level is gonna determine whether or not that initiative, um, and a learning team, for example, initiative is actually gonna work. But again, as we keep talking, it's all about the people and how we're incented in our organizations and what is the expectations and those expectations coming down to what's in your job description and what your boss is telling you, right? So something very formal and then something that informal culture, um, that wink, wink, nod, nod. Well, I know we're supposed to do it this way, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm doing that job maybe probably almost 30 years. Yeah, And what I saw is, that um, in, in 
companies or let's say in units departments uh, where it doesn't work is where the, the the top management says hey there is a doctor or there is a safety specialist and he or she is responsible for health and safety and they do it or they set up a program yeah? and so hey, we do a lot of things yeah for the people but in the daily life people are experiencing uh, something completely different yeah so in, in times of restructuring yeah here it counts yeah here people uh, experience how the culture is really looking like yeah and uh, whether they um, will be treated fair and and and, and these kind of uh, things and uh, and after a restructuring program yeah you always have the victims yeah which have uh, who have to leave yeah. and the survivors yeah who experienced and, and perceived what happened. Yeah? And that creates a damage for years yeah? if you are doing that in, a, in, in, let's say, in the wrong way. And here it, it, it really counts uh, whether you have a good culture uh, or not. Yeah? And then you can have programs like Hello Gyms or whatever that doesn't make the trick. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely agree with that. Yeah, you know, I was, um, it, it really resonated with me what you said, Ralph, about never return to our previous in the beginning when we started talking. Mm -hmm. And that that's really important to me because I think previously, prior to COVID, there was a lot of unhealthy workplaces, a lot of toxic workplaces to be quite direct. And so it would be really interesting to hear from the three of you about what your recommendations are in order to navigate into um, more collaborative learning team environments where you know the generations to come they feel included in belonging in the workflow yeah maybe i can start um i mean First of all, from a company perspective, you need to set the frame conditions, the framework yeah, for um, all the different aspects, you know, like uh, what, what is um, maybe what we are doing in the course of the new normal. We set up um, a project which developed a process how teams can discuss uh, and define their optimum working kind of style uh, how they uh, maybe they want to work more remotely, maybe they want to work more at site and or co-working zones or whatever kind of. So every team has to find their optimum, their optimal uh, working environment, and then that needs then on the other hand also some tools which need to be prepared. Yeah, so um, let's say uh, virtual uh, tools, how to connect virtually or uh, how to conduct a workshop yeah, virtually um, and uh, or even at site, uh, how that should look like. So to have more conference and, and co-working zones rather than uh, uh, desks and, 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 and chairs. Yeah? And, uh, and also then the support. Yeah? So we have employee assistance programs in place yeah, where people can get some, some uh, support from. And, and, and all that yeah, orchestrates uh, the, let's say, optimization of uh, work in the future. Yeah. So I'd like to build on this. Um, the, for me, it's about alignment. And this is in my experience, what I've seen, it starts with leadership as Ralph has said, absolutely starts there and then it trickles down. Um, but what if you don't have a Siemens? What if you are in an organization that just doesn't get it? The leadership doesn't really understand. And this is where, this is my 1% uh, safer blurb um, was really about companies understanding the value of people. So, you know, people are at the core of every thriving business, right? And their ability, tying the alignment, their ability to contribute, innovation, new ideas, the learning teams um, is influenced um, by their health safety. Um, and in many companies, they do look at well-being. Um, but if you don't have the health and safety first, the well-being is like, it's just a Band-Aid. Um, I totally agree with Ralph on that. Um, but this alignment, this idea that um, 
if the leadership doesn't understand the, the, the value of these people working. And there are many companies out there, uh, many, many companies. So it's this idea and what we're seeing, what are the motivations for the leadership to start thinking that people are a, create value for the company versus they're just a cost and we need to downsize them. Um, and that kind of is the starting point. And once leadership gets that, then everything else really does flow a lot easier for safety and health professionals and the organization, the operational side of the house. But what I want to point out is there are motivations, there are stakeholder expectations that are happening um, in the world, there are customer expectations, um, regulators, um, there's expectations in terms of health and safety. And many companies are very insular and they're only looking internally and they need to look externally. And what we can do as safety professionals, because we're learning this, is to help them understand that, guess what, Larry Fink, um, heading BlackRock, which is uh, a multinational, well, it's US-based, but multinational investor um, in uh, assets around the world, has just come out with his 2021 CEO letter. Um, and this is to CEOs around the world that their BlackRock, which is, I think it's 8.6 trillion assets under management, is looking to invest in. And they're looking to invest in organizations that are managing climate risk um, and the social side. And we people and communities and health and safety are all, all under the social side. And obviously investors are looking for transparency and public reporting, but in terms of our organization, it's around decision-making. Um, and if companies start to understand the value of people and these external, including customers and their expectations are saying, this is important. We're not gonna give you the bid if you're a contractor. You're not gonna get the work You know, if you're a company we as a customer are not going to buy from your company unless you are looking at your people. And again, COVID has blown this wide open and helped us to understand that business continuity is an issue and that tied right back to people and tied right back to their health in terms of COVID. So it's this alignment and this connectivity and the bridge building. And I don't want to dominate this, but we're talking externally. But then there's the whole piece that Rolf had talked about internally, um, where we need to build bridges with the HR people. We need to build bridges with our corporate communications, our investor um, group within our companies. Safety and health people never think about that, but we really need to get inside their heads, know what they're thinking, and talk about risks and opportunities, because that's what we do, mm -hmm. right? Tam Tamara, you yeah. used, I, I would become a little, I would like to answer your question very concrete. You used the word toxic work environment, and a lot of uh, working environment for professionals are toxic because they don't take into account how the human brain works. So there is, a, and the most toxic environment is the open plan office, for example. So this is, this is utterly ignorant or utterly stupid to organize work in such a way. So it's not, I, I totally agree of, with all the importance of the relationships and so on, but you should not underestimate the impact the important incredible negative impact of the offices and maybe but i'm not convinced about it now that a lot of people uh, have been working at home and so they long for the office i don't know what's going to happen but one thing that should not happen is the return to these horrible open offices that some people call brain warehouses, brain jails, brain torture chambers. Uh, it is a very concrete aspect of the working environment and it is a total, total, total disaster, a negative influence on the intellectual productivity of people. So I think that look at people, look at the relationships, but a good office where people can focus and can concentrate and not, not distracted all the time. Now it's about every three minutes distracted. So, okay, let's look at the people, but let's not forget that there are really toxic offices and they are built. Why do people keep building them? I don't understand. Yeah, the, the title of the little book I wrote about it originally was The Open Office is Naked. 
yeah then the the emperor is walking around oh look at our beautiful offices and they call them in german and in netherlands garden offices and they are a total total disaster so i think yes we look at the people we look at the relationships work organization but just the working environment has a big impact also yeah. but again here uh, theo i absolutely agree we let our people design their working environment. And uh, for instance, my team, so I was completely out of the game. I let them design their office uh, space. Yeah? And they uh, decided how many think tanks they wanted to have, uh, how many open desks they want to have, how many co-working zones, whatever kind of. And um, after two or three years, they said, oh, it's not so optimal. We need to change it. And then we changed it again. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and, and this is, you know, a kind of fluid and agile process. And we will change it again after the crisis. Yeah? I can promise. Great. <laughs> well, I worked, I, I, I use in my workshops, I use very often without, uh, well, usually I, I, uh, I mention Siemens. It's an experience I had at Siemens here in Belgium, where all the offices, it's like shoe boxes, and they're more or less the same size. And then they let the managers to decide exactly as you say, together with their people, how are we going to organize these offices? And so the first time I visited, I had this experience that I entered the first office and it was perfect. It was like a library environment. It was uh, the people were uh, behind their computers working. And when somebody started calling or, talk or talking non-verbally, he was uh, directed in the direction of small uh, rooms where they could talk and phone without disturbing the environment. It was a perfect environment for brain work. And then I walked up and down and I came in another exactly the, almost exactly the same design i entered the office and there were people sitting on the desk looking at the computer at very difficult technical problems discussing with each other one was on the phone and then there was somebody sitting at his computer and he was so tense and then looking at the others feeling really disturbed i sat next to him and i said hey what's going on uh, I have the intention that you don't like it when they're making all this noise. I said, yes, how can I work? And I was looking at his computer, <laughs> extremely complicated. It's impossible to work here to be concentrated. And then I said, but why don't you go to one of those other rooms? Oh, he said, well, in our team, we don't do things like that. Yeah. So the culture, uh, Katie talked about, here you have a subculture. In one environment, I think it was risk management or something, they had uh, rules of engagement that created a perfect working environment to do brain work. And in the other environment, the rules of engagement were we are together and they were distracting and disturbing each other. And it, if you looked at the design, the layout of these offices, it was almost the same. So it is the environment and then as you said, the way people use this. We are diverse. We are diverse. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, this has been a great conversation. We are up to our last few minutes. So I wanted to just see if you had any last thoughts or recommendations to our listeners. So I'll jump first, very briefly. Know the business environment in which you're operating. Um, get to know and build bridges internally and externally. Understand what your competitors are doing. Do some best marking, if you will, um, and be connected internally with the leadership of your organization and specifically operational expectations. Um, so you can have operational, um, operational safety as well as commercial um, excellence, if you will, as the goal and it's integrated um, into the business. Well, maybe from my side, more practical, be the coach of the managers and not the policeman, uh, and uh, then set up ecosystems where you uh, collaborate and, and with others for, for uh, you know, supporting you. Uh, so it's not only a, a task for the health and safety department, it's more working in an ecosystem together with HR, 
with IT, with the strategy department, uh, real estate and whatever. So that makes sense. Okay, well, I I think that there is, uh, I'm a little bit obsessed by it, another opportunity, which is not about 1% safer, but about a lot more. And I just read in the newspaper that in France, 20% of the deadly accidents, road accidents, are caused by people using their phone while driving. And that means that uh, 600 uh, people died and 6,000 were wounded due to phone abuse while driving. Mm -hmm. So, and then this, this made me think about something Shell did in 2005, and they forbid, completely forbid the use of a phone while driving. And in a few years, they had 57% less accidents. 57%. That's a totally different ball game uh, compared to the one. So imagine that all organizations, public and private, would do this. And then imagine everybody would start stop using a phone while driving. The result in France would be 600 less unnecessary deaths and 6,000 less easily avoidable wounded. So, and then returning to the 1%. Imagine only 1% of the French stop using a phone while driving. It would result in six less deaths and 60 less people wounded, wounded or mutilated for life. Still interesting. But I would go for more than 1%. No, that's uh, an important discussion that I was having actually with um, Candy Leitner, who was the woman who headed up MAD here in the United States. And she is exactly on that topic right now, Theo, about texting and driving. You know, okay. so it's a global issue. Yeah, but it's not just texting. Texting the risk increases the risk of uh, an accident 23 times. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you use your phone, even hands-free, because it has nothing to do with hands, and even voice command, it is seven yeah. to eight teams higher. And in the organizations, uh, truck drivers, forklift drivers. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And then the forklifts have their own screens. So the people are forced to multitask while they are driving this extremely dangerous machine. That's what okay. I was thinking. It goes back to that multitasking yeah. conversation that we were having earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it impacts everywhere. We just have to stop doing it. Do those blocks. Well, yeah. this has been a great conversation. Kathy, did you have one more thought? No, no. Thank you so much for bringing us together. This is awesome. I can't wait for the conference. It's going to be an awesome conference and thank you all for joining us in the conference and sharing your knowledge even more so that's coming up um it's called live and direct and that's going to be april the 28th 2021 so thank you so much everybody for joining me today this has been awesome thank you for organizing this thank bye you. bye so stay nice healthy gentlemen thanks tamara thank okay. you yeah bye tamara